is St. Matthew from the 25th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Not long ago, I heard a community leader say, when a person who sees the world completely differently than I do says, I liked your speech, I want to ask, what did you hear? <laughs> and I can imagine Jesus posing the same question to many hearers of this gospel story today who say, I liked your parable. If the comment came from insiders in many religious circles, Jesus might ask, did you maybe hear this parable as a supporting narrative for your own image of a judging God? Or your own worldview that has a world justifiably divided between those who are in and those who are out? If the comment came from someone with wealth and privilege, Jesus might say, when I talked about those five wise bridesmaids, did you hear it as a retraction of the mandate to always be generous to people in need? Did you hear perhaps a modified version of the radical grace that I have always talked about, that I've always called for? Or did you hear a more reasonable approach in your mind to loving your neighbor? in a way that acknowledges that sometimes neighbors actually deserve the hardship that has come their way. The beauty of parables is that they are open to interpretation, but that's also the danger because most of us tend to hear what we want to hear. And in that light, it is no surprise that the interpretations I have just highlighted have been the dominant ones, I think, in inner circles of the Christian church, especially among those with privilege and power. And this has worked well for the self-righteous insiders, but it has led to a great amount of fear, anxiety, confusion, and serious questions within the larger audience of hearers who still wonder what Jesus could have possibly meant when he told this parable. 
As we wrestled with the parable at our midweek Bible study, we tried to gain some perspective by taking another look at the context of the first century Christian community for whom the Gospel of Matthew was written. We wondered why the author, Matthew, would have wanted them to hear this parable and how it might have been heard by those people who received it about 40 to 50 years at least after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it struck us that Matthew's audience may have been struggling with a great deal of disappointment and discouragement at that point in time. The radical movement of transformation and renewal that had started with Jesus was not progressing nearly as rapidly as many people had hoped. And in many cases, it must have seemed like that movement was, in fact, stalled, or maybe even regressing against all of those forces that were still there, the forces of economic injustice and political injustice, of the religious forces, the social forces that worked against that. By that time in the first century, it's easy to imagine a great deal of discouragement. It goes against what people, I think, had hoped would happen so much more quickly. Jesus himself had announced that this new kingdom of heaven was breaking in to their earthly lives together. And in this kingdom that is coming, Jesus said, no one will ultimately have too much and no one will have too little. Men and women will be treated with equal respect and dignity. People of all races and classes will be welcomed into new community. Powers of hate and prejudice will ultimately be overcome by the power of love. And human beings will live in harmony, in shalom with the rest of creation. When we read the book of Acts, we see how this movement started to gain momentum in the years after Jesus' death. Real change was occurring at many levels. In growing communities of faith, wealth and power were being redistributed. And walls of separation were coming down. Dignity was being restored. And violence was being denounced. The steps were of critical importance, but as it turned out, they were just the first small steps in a marathon that would require long-term commitment, wisdom, courage, perseverance, tenacity, and trust in the coming kingdom. Given what we know about the superpower of Rome that was also gaining momentum all through that first century, culminating in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE. It's not, it's not hard to imagine that many Christian hearers of this parable might have identified right away with all of those bridesmaids who finally just got tired of waiting and resigned themselves to sleep. If so, those hearers, I think, would have also been drawn into the sharp distinction that the parable makes between the five who actually planned 
for this to take a much longer time than expected. And the five who ran out of fuel. And when you connect that back to the experience of every person who has faced deep disappointment and discouragement in his or her struggle against life-denying forces, I think you begin to see what Jesus wanted people to hear. Keep awake, he says. When I hear that, I hear him saying that transformation and renewal is a work in progress. So you have to be watching for God's justice and peace and freedom at all times. And you have to be wisely prepared for the long haul so that you are ready to join in at any moment, even if that moment comes much, much later than you expected. Many centuries later, when African slaves in North America heard this parable, they sang it in a, what I would call, divinely subversive way to each other in the dark of the night. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning, they sang. The slave masters who gave them the Bible probably thought that parables like this would make them afraid to do anything, afraid of God's judgment that would make them afraid of, of eternal exclusion from God's kingdom. But instead, the slaves heard God telling them to be always awake and alert in the fight for freedom and to be ready for God's kingdom to come in the here and now. In his explanation of that song, Dr. Uzzi Brown of Morehouse College said, the song is both biblical and subversive. It speaks of lamps trimmed and burning as in Matthew 25. But when it was heard from one camp to another, it was a way of saying, we are getting ready to escape and you must be ready when the time comes. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. I wonder how you hear this admonition to keep awake today, to keep your lamp trimmed and burning. In so many areas of our public life, the long fight for justice and for freedom and for equality is one that requires the lamp oil of long-term commitment, courage, wisdom, tenacity, and deep trust in God's coming kingdom. One of the obvious examples that's come, again, so much to the forefront for us is the ongoing fight for gender equality and respect that has been waged over such a long period of time. The daily revelations of sexual harassment and abuse and violence by men that now fill the news cycle every day are not surprising to any women but they do have a cumulative effect, I think, on our psyche, leading sometimes us to question if that long arc of justice will ever really bring us into a kingdom of right relationships with each other. But through it all, I marvel still at the lamps that are burning brightly through words, actions, protests, votes, and strategies 
that are fueled by hopeful anticipation of change that is still to come. And when I think about the personal challenges that so many of you face every day, I'm equally inspired by the lamps that burn brightly within you. I'm not thinking about the small things that come and go, but about the struggles that persist in your life, the struggles that threaten to wear you down and tempt you to abandon hope. And at times, I'm sure you may even feel that your lamp has finally run out of fuel and that you are standing outside a door that has been closed by the harshness of this world. If so, I want to pass along to you an observation about this parable that was made by one of the participants in our midweek Bible study. I think there's always hope, she said, even for the five who are standing outside the door. Because nowhere in the parable does it say that the door is closed forever. So keep awake, one and all, because in this movement of transformation and renewal that began with Jesus, there's always more to come and always a place for us to join and be a part of it. And for that, I say thanks be to God. Amen. If you have prayer cards, just hold them up and the ushers will come and gather them.